Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Pete Wright. Hi, Nikki. It's a summary fun. Summary fun. Yay. I keep wanting to, just, when when I see that, I, I see summary fun, but then I want it to be summer fun. Summer fun. Yeah. No, we're not there yet. Nope, not yet. You're not allowed to say summer fun Mm-mm. yet. Uh, we are going to be talking about the last set of episodes that we did. Um... The last set, set of episodes, Overcoming Obstacles. Is that what we were calling this theme? Yeah. Yes, it was. Did we? Is that what we called it? Mm-hmm. Yes. So Overcoming Obstacles. We have three episodes that we're going to talk about. And uh, I, I learned a lot. I learned some things. Me too. I'm excited to hear you talk about them. Uh, before we do that, you can head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list. And we will send you an email each time a new episode is released. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest at TakeControlADHD. But to really connect with us, join us in the ADHD Discord community. It's super easy to jump in there uh, into our general community and chat channel. Uh, just visit TakeControlADHD.com slash Discord and you'll be whisked over to the general invitation and login. And if you're looking for a little bit more, particularly if this show has ever touched you or helped you understand your relationship with ADHD in a new way, we invite you to support the show directly through Patreon. Patreon is listener-supported podcasting and with a few dollars a month, you can help guarantee that we continue to grow this show add new features, and invest more heavily in our community. Visit patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast to learn more. All of everything you just said is all true. <laughs> all of the, all of those things are true. Yes. Um, all right. Nikki, let us commence the summary fun. First up, three episodes. First one. one was imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. RSD and ADHD with Mallory Band. Yes. Delightful mm-hmm. Mallory Band. Number two, when expectations meet your ADHD with Aaron Croft. Mm-hmm. Delightful Aaron Croft. Thriving in a digital world with Christina Avalone. Mm-hmm. Avalone. Christina Avalone. Not Avalone. Sounds like provolone. That was number three. Yes. Indeed. Let, let us begin. I like that word right now. Imposter syndrome. Indeed. I just said it three <laughs> times. <laughs> You're a real... 
you're a real Sherlock Holmes. Right? Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Well, okay. So imposter syndrome, RSD and ADHD with Mallory Band. What I love about all of these interviews is it's it's wonderful how the conversations just kind of go wherever they want to go. And so we end yeah. up talking about a lot of different things, not just one subject. Um, but this had me thinking. I wanted to reread her article and attitude about imposter syndrome and perfectionism. So we'll link that in our notes. Uh, because I think it's a good one. There was a quote there that she said, I recognized how my perfectionism kept me in a tortured, exhausted state. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What great writing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that was, that is exactly what hit me too. When she, she said also that her uh, imposter syndrome sapped her of herself. Yes. Like the whole idea that you're not who you're supposed to be when you're living in this state really connected. For me. Absolutely. Me too. And, and, uh, and as a coach, seeing so many clients who face this demon every single day, the perfectionism, the RSD, everything that we talked about on the, on the show, and it, it, uh, leads to that all or nothing thinking, and then it leads to avoidance and, so one of the things that I was really uh, touched by or really my biggest takeaway was the importance of self-awareness and how it's really hard to know what to do with something if you don't know that it's happening. And so having her talk about the imposter syndrome and uh, the anxiety, you know, that she was feeling and um, paying attention to when you feel like uh, an imposter and, and what, where's that coming from? And, and one of the things that I've learned from you, Pete, is what you are afraid of. Is it true? Is it fact? And I think that was something that uh, hit home for me and, and to really just sort of dig a little bit deeper about what, where your feelings are coming from and, and uh, can you practice, you know, she had lots of different kinds of strategies and things like that. But the what ifs, I think is one of the biggest ones that I took away was not the what if in a negative way, but what if, if what if it actually goes well? I've been really reflecting on the physiological experience of imposter syndrome and, and when I'm feeling like an imposter, right? The, the whole, because, you know, part of what I am dealing with is still dealing with just kind of regular checks on my blood pressure. I right. take my blood pressure all the time. And so I, I've been kind of looking at like, what's going on with my body when I'm, when I'm feeling this way? It's that increased blood pressure, decreased energy, uh, perseverative fear and anxiety, giving me the shakes. Like that, that's when I go back to, like she says, it sapped her of herself. Like that's a, that's a legit phys physiological experience when I can't fully embrace what I'm doing right now, because I feel like a different human being as a result of it, mm -hmm. right? All of the measures against which I determine success are somehow in my brain broken. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to get my hands around that. So I, I guess that's the thing for me that I, that I walked away with the, the biggest sense of awareness is like to really stop what is going on with my body yeah. when I am in this state and how can I get curious about that? How can I get curious to turn the corner and see what is it that I'm really afraid of right now? The the thing that we, I also went back and I read the transcript and I was looking at, like she, she started talking about grades and I, it's so frustrating because we have just accepted culturally that grades are this 
widely adopted measure of universal success, right? Your GPA in high school and college determines kind of how successful you are. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but I am saying it's irrational. Like telling me you got a 1600 on your SAT when you were in, in college 20 years ago or going to college 20 years ago doesn't tell me anything about the kind of human being you are right now. And the older I get, the more I realize that talking about this arbitrary measure of knowledge acquisition in a classroom outside the classroom is a false equation. It's just false. It makes me crazy. Okay, so this is what I'm so excited about adding to what you just said. Your to-do list is this universal way of measuring your success it kind of makes sense that when you check things off of your to-do list that, yeah, that's a good thing. You're being productive. But it's irrational if you think you have failed because you haven't done something on your to-do list. Yeah. It's not who you are. It's false. Do you get where I'm going with that? So as soon as you were talking about that, I immediately went to how tied we are to our task lists. Yeah, yeah, to any of these sort of arbitrary yes. cultural measures, right? Yes. The, 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 yeah. So we talk about grades as an arbitrary measure of success. It's just a checklist of past history yeah. of things you accomplished. It, it's essentially checking off your to-do list in school. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Really useful for your teacher. Right. But not really useful outside of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and your task list, just because it has, a, like, my task list is so long, we wear busyness as a badge of honor, yes. too. Yes, and And that, I think, is another sign of... Uh, of of imposter syndrome. Like yes. if, if you're focused on how busy you are as a sign that you are successful, I encourage you to rethink that. Mm-hmm. I right? agree. I really encourage you to rethink it. Yeah. Um, so it's anyhow, great. this leads right into our when expectations meet your ADHD with Aaron Croft. Yes. Right? Yes, it does. And I really enjoyed meeting Aaron. And we had talked about so many different things on the show. Uh, one of the things that really... Um, I appreciated about him was his honesty and how authentic he is. And we've gotten some great feedback from people, you know, really relating to him and appreciating, you know, his, his honesty about where he's been and and where he's at and what he's been doing. I really appreciated the emphasis on talking about inattentive ADHD, especially from his point of view, because a lot of times when we talk about inattentive ADHD, we, because of my own daughter's experience, it, it is sometimes connected with women and girls being undiagnosed, which is very true. Um, but there are a lot of people in the world who have inattentive ADHD. And so I really uh, liked some of the things that he had to say. What One of the things that was really interesting to me is when he talked about having, uh, let's see, what does he say here? There tends to be a slightly greater bend towards, towards passivity and to be more... Um, observation, kind of that quiet struggling and going along with things. So he was talking about how well he can just sit back and observe. Mm -hmm. And I just found that to be 
a really interesting point of view of how he, he, you know, he could depend on his sisters and he could depend on friends to help him get through things, even though he didn't have a system because of him being able to, to observe others, he was able to get through those challenging things. And I just thought it was a really important insight and also really important to also bring up that people can be incredibly intelligent and have great, great grades. <laughs> and mm-hmm. still have mm-hmm. ADHD. The thing about Aaron Croft, his entire shtick, he has a shtick because everybody who is trying to teach anything has to have a shtick, right? And his shtick is, how did I go from getting into Harvard to being essentially destitute for 15 years? And Harvard, 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 there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of Harvard in his stuff. Mm-hmm. And I found that, uh, I found that distasteful, right? In all candor, going into this show, because I don't think that's the story. I don't think that's his story either. And I think he knows it. That story could be replayed by anyone living with severe inattentive ADHD and any school, right? Mm -hmm. This is about the process of going from having support structures to having no support structures and having to figure out how to grow up and into your ADHD when you don't know you have ADHD. And that is a much more universal experience. And so when we started that conversation, it was really important to me that he know I didn't feel like this was that I wanted to tell a story that he hasn't told. Yeah. And he was super amenable to that. And I think we ended up having a really interesting conversation as a result of like him shaking, uh, uh, shaking himself free of some of the some of his stuff that he's talked about on all of the shows and really focusing on a, a little bit more family of origin stuff, a little bit more on the idea that you know, his experiences are much more universal to those of us who are, are are living with ADHD. And what he is coaching now doesn't matter that he went to Harvard. It doesn't, doesn't right. matter at all that he went to Harvard, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that I thought was so interesting, because, you know, I'm on a little bit of a bender about uh, universal design for education and uh, learning styles and all this stuff right now. And we can talk about that more uh, later. But you pointed out something really interesting in that conversation when he said, the accommodations that he'd put in place for himself, uh, that he felt like they were manipulative right. to his instructors, like trying to figure out how to do better on uh, tests and assignments and exams and figure out what was coming up around the next corner by somehow being manipulative. Um, and you said, but that's what I teach. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I coach my students mm-hmm. to, to, to work. So I had this fascinating conversation with my wife, who's a SLP, as you know, and she is also very interested in this idea of universal design for education, that whatever you are designing, whatever curriculum you're designing, whether it's in preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, grad school, the curriculum should be able to be presented in a way that anyone can learn it, no matter how they need to learn it, right? Yeah. No matter where they are on the neurodiversity spectrum. And that's universal design for education. And had the curriculum, had his his professors been schooled at that time in universal design, he wouldn't have had to feel manipulative, manipulative right. at all, right, right? right? He would have been able to embrace the content in whatever way it was presented, 
in a way that would connect to his brain. And that is the thing that I think is so important that we're all, especially when we're talking about working with your kids, working with your own education, have an understanding of what it means to have a curriculum presented to you, presented to your kids by your schools universally in a universal design uh, standpoint, because it's so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important for how we are. It's like, it is the next evolution in how we teach. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I think it's, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's going to be earth shattering. So that was a, that was a really uh, powerful lesson, uh, for me that you pulled that out of that conversation. It really Mm -hmm. spun into some interesting directions. For sure. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting for him to, to, to explain that and how he yeah. explained it is exactly the way I would ask somebody to go talk to their professor. So yeah, yeah it was very right. interesting. And he had his three-step framework. Which I, you like yeah, that. I did like it. I just, yeah. you know, I think that um, he does a lot of productivity things. And, you know, one of the questions that I asked him towards the end is, you know, how how do you feel like you manage your ADHD now? You've got this coaching business, you're an entrepreneur, you know, and, and one of the things he said was that he... Uh, he looks for 8% of productivity during the day, you know, like that's what he's Mm -hmm. looking for is that 8%, what, what needs to uh, be moved forward. And he did, he had this three-step framework. He talks about it towards the end, uh, just real briefly, people power. He talked a lot about accountability and just the, um, how important and how valuable it is to be working with other people, uh, having that presence, body doubling, all of that. Um, easy prevails was the second thing, the law of least effort. I love that, you know, look for the easy task, look for the, the opening, uh, that can get you started and then practice productivity. That is something that we talk so much about, not so much always just about productivity, but practice everything, everything that you're doing, um, about around ADHD and, and, and learning how to build systems and, and maintain them. It's all about practice. It's a skill. And, uh, so I just really appreciated that the way that he talks about these things are so similar to the way that we talk about them too, that it was just a really nice, I, I don't know, maybe, um, Confer- or what is it? Affirmation? Confirmation, Confirmation? For sure. Yeah, that like, yeah, yeah, I get that. That's what we're saying too. It's yeah. like, it makes sense. So, well, and, you know, I just so many of those bullet points that he outlined as his strategies and felt bad about them that we outline as tools, I think is an excellent exercise in perspective. Yeah, right. And, you know, if you're struggling with these things, I mean, if you're not out and out breaking the law or, you know, overtly cheating, you you should really be like evaluating the things that you feel strongly about that you're doing negatively somehow. Are those really really accepted as negative things or are they just strategies to help you get through the day like i that was a that's a, a lesson from aaron i think it was really great mm-hmm. uh okay that takes us into our digital episode christina thriving in a digital thriving world. in a digital world here's what i think about christina this is a woman who feels strongly and exercises her passion uh about these issues And while I am a technologist and a nerd, an enthusiastic nerd, I'm also, I don't live in a hole in the ground with all my computers. I don't live in a back cave, right? 
Um, what I know is there are some perseverative behaviors around our use of technology that actually gets in the way of our ability to get through a, a day and be productive and not right, create some really damaging habits. I recognize that. Um, and, and I think the research is still very young. It doesn't look great uh, for, for people who are really struggling with their phones. And I think a lot of the tools that she brought, uh, brought to, to bear are good strategies no matter what right? Like I, I removed Pokemon Go from my devices for a while. Mm -hmm. I need to be free of that for a little while. I need to miss some of the, some of the events. I need to, I need to let some things go by because I need to re retrain and reclaim those cycles of my brain right, for a while. Right. Those are strategies I think are really good. Um, I don't think we need to do it through fear. I don't think we need to create a culture of, of fear around our devices. And that has been a thing that I've really been reflecting on do and and I, I I believe in the last week that I have softened in some of these areas around um, uh, around how we use technology that I think we can do it proactively and productively you know sever the things that are negative in our lives and the negative behaviors by building new positive habits to replace them and we don't have to worry about some of the the data that she dropped that, that she dropped fairly casually that I think have some larger implications that caused me to think twice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Is that fair? Oh, I think it's really fair. And I, I think there were some really great points and, and some of the things that, um, you know, I really took to heart or, you know, when I was reflecting back, it's like, okay, where am I doing good? What can I still improve on? Where, where do I really need help? Right. So I definitely think it's mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a, a show where you can actually reflect to and, and think, okay, how am I using my technology? Where am I using it? Does it make sense? Am I getting, um, what I need out of it? Um, I, I th and I agree with you. I think that there were some things that were probably said casually that, oh boy, if we had expanded on that, I don't know where we would have gone because I don't think there's enough research um, at this point yeah. to really say one way or the other on how, um, you know, giving an iPad to a two-year-old is going to affect them when they're 25. I mean, we just don't know. Yeah. Um, right. And the reality is we live in a technical world and we will continue to do so. And I think that that's always been your point is that we have to figure out how to live with technology because it is mm -hmm. so much around us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think that this is a conversation that uh, when you talked about strategies, one of the things that I would like to maybe continue to explore with the community uh, and with people that are listening is what do you guys do? to help you curve this and because it is something that I see so often with clients and I don't always have, you know, an answer for them because it's not just easy to just say, okay, put it in a lockbox and don't, and don't look at it again. It's not mm -hmm. that easy. Like that's the strategy, but it's really hard to do. And so, um, I am still craving more information from people. Like, I want to learn more yeah. about how people really do thrive in a digital world and how do you find that balance? Um, because, you know, it's hard. So it was a great yeah. conversation. I really enjoyed it, but I still want more. I still want to learn more about it. Does that make sense? 
I think for me, I, you know, I, the things that I responded really positively to are the things that make me feel like an old man. Right. Totally. I know. <laughs> me <Right>. too. <laughs> I miss, I, I do, I do love civility in our communication. And I love it when people look me in the yeah. eye when I'm talking to them. And I don't, I'm not crazy about looking down at watches and notifications for every bing and bong. And the whole discussion about rudeness really hit home for it, me. Absolutely. It's an important point for me, mm-hmm. right? I agree. I, it, that's important to me. It's important for me to teach my kids civility and communication when talking to somebody. And, and being in the present. Exactly, being in the present. So I, I struggle with that stuff. The stuff that, I, that I've, I've been really reflecting on my own ideological worldview. When she, when you go into any conversation, and there are a lot of people who, who feel strongly about this, um, and, and we'll use, I'll, I'll use one point, uh, that I don't have a lot of phone numbers memorized anymore. Right. Right. That's something that's easy to feel bad about. It's also easy to spin up a, 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 a story that my brain must be changing super negatively because I can't remember stuff anymore. And I guess I'm on the other side of that. I don't remember a lot of phone numbers because I don't have to try to remember phone numbers anymore. Mm -hmm. I remember names and I can just say, dial this person's number and it gets dialed for me. That for me is augmented intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. Or augmented memory. It's not augmented reality, but it's, it's augmented reality adjacent. The fact that I have a trusted system, a truly bulletproof system, for remembering phone numbers that I don't actually have to, you know, soft tissue remember right. anymore is fine for me. It it isn't it hasn't broken anything for me. I still know how to read. Mm-hmm. I still know how to write. I still know how to do stuff, uh, and I don't need to worry so much about that because of technology augmenting my memory. I look forward to technology continuing to augment my memory in a way that lets me that frees me of some cycles to do other stuff don't really know what that other stuff is yet. Right. Uh, I know I'm doing it every day. I know I'm doing stuff with my brain. It hasn't shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still creating. I'm shipping new sort of stuff every day to the world. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I really am okay with that. And I don't think we have to feel bad about it that, you know, you feel bad about it, go do a crossword puzzle. Mm-hmm. Make yourself feel good. Get a little dopamine push and then move on about your day. Yeah. Go go, not remember some more phone numbers because you have a system for it. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I think that that's a really good point too of how we we are just learning. We're living with the technology we have. There isn't a need to yeah. remember those things. Right. Uh, and if there wasn't a compelling system. Right. If there wasn't a compelling system for me to remember all these phone numbers in my, in my device and in the cloud and in the system, then I would remember phone numbers. Right, I, right. I know how to memorize things yeah, still. Yeah. Like, and I think my kids also know how to memorize things still. My kids are very young. They went through school. They know all their times tables. They know all their stuff. They don't need to know my phone number. Right, right. Right? Yeah. They hardly know their phone number. Who cares? Well, and it's so, this is so off the topic of technology and i'm sure we'll probably get somebody that will comment on this but it's like cursive writing like we learned how to do cursive writing but really what is the point now like we don't need to learn how to do cursive writing it's not in our world i mean i just have no i have no reason to write something in cursive so it's also okay for things to change. Things change, things evolve. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I always get cra- a little crazy when somebody says, well, when it was, when I raised you or, you know, back when I was young, yeah. 
It wasn't like that. But you know what? You're right. It wasn't like that. It is different yeah. now. And we have to embrace that. It's different. One of the great anti-technology memes that goes around is, or the pro-technology memes that goes around whenever people get upset about, you know, the invasive use of phones in technology is this picture of, a, you know, crowded sub train car and everybody has a newspaper open. From, right. You know, when, when the newspaper became a big thing. It was like, oh my God, newspapers are going to kill us all. Yeah. Right. Because we're terrified of what it happens to our socialization when we, um, you know, when, when everybody's face is in a newspaper. Well, you know, it's the same thing. There, there are some different implications that we do not know, some positive, some negative, and we get to embrace and adapt as we go. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess I'm just, I'm, I continue to be more bullish than bearish on our technological future. And I think it's more important for us to figure out how to live with this stuff yeah. than, than to fear it. So I agree. There you go. There we go. All right. Hey, that was fun. That was some real summary fun. Summary fun. Yay. I, uh, <laughs> with some technical <laughs> issues. <laughs> with a little bit of technical issues. I don't know what happened today. If you're listening to this in the public, the public feed, boy, did you miss some good times. Mm -hmm. Computers crashing, uh, live streams not starting. It was a real mess, but you don't have to deal with that. So uh, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> anyway, hey, thanks everybody for uh, downloading and listening to the show. We sure appreciate your time and attention hanging out with us for this April summary fun. Uh, don't forget, if you have something to contribute about this conversation, we're heading over to the Show Talk channel in our Discord server. You can join us right there by becoming a supporting member at the deluxe level or better. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer... I'm Pete Wright, and we'll see you right back here next week on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. Mm -hmm.